Hi, this is Dan Rao, founder and brand strategist at DSR Branding, and you're listening to Discover Someone Remarkable, conversations worth sharing. Join me as I interview passionate founders and industry experts, people who think differently, challenge the status quo, and are building a legacy. People who I consider truly remarkable. In today's episode, I interview Craig Black, an independent designer, lettering artist, and typographer. Having spent the first few years of his career in leading design agencies in London, Craig now runs his own design studio in his hometown of Gourock, near Glasgow in Scotland. His work has been celebrated and published internationally by leading design magazines and exhibited at conferences across the globe. I first met Craig in Brisbane in 2018 when he presented at the design conference. In this episode, Craig talks about creative collaborations, starting your own studio, goal setting, using personal design projects as a marketing tool, landing dream projects, and speaking at major design conferences from Brisbane to Barcelona. Craig is incredibly open and sincere, and his passion for his craft is infectious. His story is one of taking risks, hard work, and backing yourself to achieve your goals. I felt inspired, motivated, and energized from speaking with Craig. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Just a warning, this episode features some colorful language. So Craig, thanks very much for coming on the podcast, man. Oh, thanks for having me. Mate, so we like to kick things off with a bit of a icebreaker question. So what's your favorite brand and why? I would say my favorite brand is Nike, probably because from an early age, I've always kind of believed in the brand, actually, like always for the your sports and um, football specifically. And um, when I say football, that's soccer. And <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like one of those brands that have always kind of inspired me. And I think one of the things is seeing like my favorite football players being sponsored by Nike over the years was just kind of incredible. And, and I love the kind of marketing campaigns growing up. Obviously from the sports kit as well, especially football kits and stuff like that, like that kind of got me into the type of lettering game. Seeing all the kind of amazing stuff they've designed over the years has just been really, really incredible. And yeah, and just basically all the athletes and stuff like that, because I'm, I'm very, like, I'm, I'm big into football, I'm big into sports and stuff, so it was a perfect brand for me to grow up with. And now, to this day, like, all I ever buy is Nike Air Max trainers, so <laughs> I, I still believe in the brand and I still love it. So it's probably, yeah, it's probably my favorite brand. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because I was having this similar conversation with a mate yesterday and I actually said, yeah, I'm pretty much a walking billboard for Nike as well. So <laughs> I think we, we share that in common. I remember the amazing Nike football ads. I think it would have been like early 2000s or late 90s. Mm-hmm. Of like just all the pro football players, I think like Ronaldo and who's the Dutch guy mm-hmm. who used to wear the cool glasses? Edgar Davids. Yeah, yeah. He looked awesome. Yeah, he was yeah. wicked. yeah. One of the early ads I can remember, maybe back in the early 90s, and um, it was filled with, like, see when you hear, like, superstars of football, like, this is proper superstars back in the day. It was, like, Eric Cantona, Paolo Maldini. It was this, it was in Rome, I can remember. It was, like, video in Rome, and it's, like, these football players get against, like, the devil and, yeah, like, yeah, all these yeah. demons and stuff. And I remember when I first saw it, so I was a very young, I was a young lad, and I was petrified of, like, the demons <laughs> in the video. But when I saw these football players like fight against them in terms of football and they ended up beating them and it was like, oh, these sorts of football players, like that so inspired me. Like I wanted to be like those people and those football players. So even all these adverts and stuff, like it's such an inspiring thing to see, especially at a young age. At that point, I had no idea what the hell was going on. It was super cool. And I was like, oh, they're 
playing against Demons. I didn't know if Demons were bloody real or not, but, <laughs> but it was just awesome to see. And then, like he says, the Ekadabi tournament, they were like assassins and ninjas and stuff like that involved. Like, I was different level. Um, to be honest, I probably struggled ever since to capture those brilliant campaigns that did before. I've not seen a good one as good as that, actually. I mean, the production level in those was just incredible. I remember they'd, yeah. they'd always do it around a, a World Cup, and I think mm-hmm. Adidas or Adidas always sponsor. They're always like the ball sponsor of the World Cup, mm-hmm. and then Nike would just come out and release like a ridiculous ad. <laughs> and they'd actually do surveys. they do like audience polls on who is the major sponsor of the World Cup, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I read... You know, like most people would actually attribute it to Nike just because that sort of hijacked the whole thing by, by releasing oh, yeah, something yeah. of that level. It's just, yeah, again, such yeah. cool production value. I know, I know. I always remember the Brazil national team one and they're in the airport and it's like the, like the real Ronaldo, Roberto Carlos and yeah, Danielson yeah. and they're like kicking the ball about and stuff. Oh. They were booting off the back of planes and stuff. Was it that one? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the one kind of through security stuff. We'll have to post some of the links, the YouTube yeah, links in the, in the show notes to provide some <laughs> yeah. context. So moving on, like, is that something that inspired you in terms of designer or creative? I would definitely, no, 100% football and how it's kind of marketed back then was probably the main driver for me. Like, when I was younger, like, I was craving the sense of, like, I was building stuff and doing stuff and just having fun. But I wasn't, like, drawing all the time. I was always out playing like out in the garden, building tree huts and doing crazy stuff, jumping off trees and stuff like that. And uh, so it wasn't exactly like I was in, indoors drawing all the time. It wasn't nothing like that. But And I was always playing football. So I would always ask for like new football boots or a new football top. But it was probably more like Nike orientated. And it was like the colours and the football badges and the type on the back on the football badges as well and on the sponsors as, as well so these all played a part on my kind of like influence and tape off and lettering and later in life I, I kind of not even later in life when I was younger I always questioned how these things were made like even the adverts even how our football was made the colours on the ball like football boots how are these always created and I always felt my curiosity and that kind of stemmed into my adult life and it kind of transferred into this career of take-off and lettering. And now, unfortunately, getting opportunities to go back to my childhood and create these kind of things as well, which is just incredible. So, yeah, that's kind of where it all stemmed from, really, is the sport. And I, like, I love football and stuff. So it's played a huge influence in my life, and especially in my life of creativity and design. And um, were, were you from a creative family? With a, you know, Do you have brothers or sisters who are creative as well? <laughs> so... The first the reason I laughed there is because I thought my big brother, my big brother Gary, is like non-creative <laughs> in the best sense. So he's just like a typical lad. Like he's a plumber. He, like he loves football as well, but he, he doesn't know design or creativity. Like I've never seen him in, in my entire life. But you could say creative in terms of playing football. He was a good player. But other than that, no. Um, but my mum was super creative. So she still is a hairdresser and she was so amazing with the way with interior design so when we were younger like so it was me my older brother and my mum and we had this like amazing house with a small kind of apartment and she would cut decorate the house using like say it was like a cheap vase and she would customize it adding like uh, beads and stones and lights to it and just make it 
fucking awesome. Like the whole house was built with amazing stuff like this. And I always remember when like friends and stuff came to our house and it wasn't big at all. Like it was perfect for us, but people used to be like wowed by how amazing the interior looked because my mom was like, just had it on point. And it wasn't like expensive stuff. It was just a way she customized everything. And it was, and that really inspired me actually. It must have played an effect in my life. It really has. And my mom's always kind of encouraged me in terms of creativity. So when we were like younger, don't get wrong, I say I would design, like draw stuff, but I was always like building stuff in terms of like skeletics, Lego, gluing stuff, paper, craft, all those kind of things. Uh, using my hands mainly and then um, getting the paints out and just causing chaos really. And she really, really encouraged that from an early age. My brother was just too busy playing football and stuff like that. So he just let me go do my thing. So yeah, like, I was always encouraged from an early age to go do what I've always done with whatever made me happy, really. And fortunate enough, like, it's all carried, carried on to like, my adult life and I'm still doing what I've done when I was younger kind of thing. <laughs> I really am. Yeah. So what do you love about the work you do? There's a various things, but I love the fact that it can make an impact and it make a difference in people's lives in terms of, like, Obviously, one, from a design point of view, making a difference to someone's business and whether that's making profit or making the business successful. But on the flip side of that is actually a lot of my work is now creating kind of artwork. And it's actually bringing joy to people's life. So like, even if I do a mural or like create an installation, like seeing someone smile and it brings them joy to their life is such a special feeling. And to be able to provide that is a special thing to do. And Something I absolutely love doing is like interacting with people. So usually if I'm doing like any kind of public artwork or designs or whatever, like seeing people interact with the work while I'm creating it and seeing something being created in front of your eyes is quite a special thing. So it makes people think differently and it makes people feel good and happy. And I love that about my work. I love that interaction. And I'm a, I love talking to people and sharing what I do and stuff like that. So I'm very fortunate to be in a position to do these kind of things. And that's probably the greatest joy I get out of it. And to be honest, like I love the fact that I'm constantly challenging myself and pushing my skill set as well. Like one day I could be doing a branding or a wordmark for a brand and then the following day I could be creating a mural and then the following day I could be creating a paper sculpture out of card or whatever and then the following day I could be painting a piece of type on wood or something like that. I, I love the versatility and the diversity of my skill set and constantly challenging myself. And that's hugely benefited my career because I'm every project that I'm working on is varied and different and challenging, but it all stems around type of and lettering and that's what I pride myself on. And I absolutely love what I do. Like I honestly don't see it as a job. I don't like I see it as something that I love to do and like it's as if I'm playing again. Even though, like, I get paid and it's a professional business and stuff, I wake up every morning, like, positive and really happy and excited to go into the studio and figure out, like, what, what do I need to do? So am I building something today? Am I painting? Am I doing a brand? Am I doing this? Like, don't get me wrong, like, that sounds very, like, kind of, I don't know, airy-fairy, but I've worked bloody hard to get to this point to make these things possible. So it's kind of an accumulation of stuff and... Also, another thing that I love to do is, if I do, when I'm building these projects or artwork design or whatever it would be, is if I can collaborate with other people, um, yeah. other designers or creatives or stuff, and bring them along and 
make them a part of this whole project and process as well is really quite special. And that's something that's really grown in me in the past couple of years as well. Because a lot of people who are especially independent designers and stuff are quite, what's the right way of saying this? Like, it's controlled the right word to in the sense of like they don't like to get ownership. Whereas me, like if I'm ever working on something, like if I'm working with a copywriter or an illustrator or designer or someone to go and help me on a project, like I'm very open and collaborative and I want them to bring as much ideas to the table as possible. And if it goes with a kind of route that they like to do, then go for it. Like I love that aspect to it. And that what it does is opens up a more collaborative approach. And I love that aspect of it. And that's something that I've learned to do more and more over the years, especially because when you start off, like when I started off, it was just me. That is, that is still me, but it's the more and more I'm getting bigger projects that I have more deliverables to it, then I need to expand my team, which is like whether I bring a freelancer in and stuff. So it's been more open to that. And that's another part of it. It's basically work with other people as well. Even though I'm a one-man band, I still love that collaborative approach. And yeah, no, I mean... As you can tell, I, it's pretty cool to hear the different projects and, and we'll make sure that mm-hmm. we um, we share the range because I think the scope and the projects that you do is, is what's quite fascinating, quite remarkable mm-hmm. about the work you do. How do you find collaboration with other creatives and how do you do that over across borders or do you do that online or do you, have, do you guys have to be in person to do some of that? I personally prefer collaborations with people that I like. So I think that for me... It's rather than looking at the portfolio and going, that's fucking tremendous work. And, but if I don't get, know the person or get on with the person, then I'm going to find a struggle to collaborate with someone. Some of the people who I collaborate now are very, very good friends of mine and I can rely on them and I can trust them to do the best work they can possibly do. So I collaborate with people from all across the world, but usually what tends to happen before I get to that point of actually working, there's a relationship being built beforehand. I've been in situations before where I worked with freelancers and unfortunately, like, I didn't have that relation. Maybe it was like a deadline or the time against me that I had to work with a freelancer, but I maybe didn't know as well. And you, they've probably got a, a fantastic portfolio. But when they started working with me, they didn't actually deliver the level that shows in the portfolio. And that was a total learning curve for me. Is I found out quite, I haven't done it three or four times actually. And I'm like, fucking hell it's so shit when you bring in a team like i remember my early days and and you'd mm-hmm. you know and it, it's hard because the person you're dealing with doesn't potentially have the relationship with the client whereas you know if mm-hmm. it's if it's a paid project commission project it's much harder mm-hmm. because you've got the relationship with the client that person you know yeah. the person you're who's the freelancer doesn't so they don't feel the same accountability no. that you do but then the client doesn't care if you can't really go back and go oh sorry mate i was let down Um, (laughs) they're just like well you know you said you'd have it done yeah you're totally spot on and you know what happens is like when the freelancer for instance is not delivered and then you need to redo the work and then it becomes very like there's so much work involved in your end and there's so much time and it just becomes a shit show so now I've after the three or four times that that's three or four times over a couple of years and then I've learned from those experiences so I always make sure that I've built up relationships with people now so and when I build up those relationships, all those creatives that I've worked with, like they understand the situation that I'm in as well. Like if yeah. I'm the one dealing with the client and stuff, I think they take, like they understand the pressures that I'm under. And I think that's a big thing because the big thing is what I found is that they'll bend over. If you can bend over backwards for friends and help them out, then they'll do it for you. And that's been a big thing for me. So now I've got to a place where if I've got 
I need a photographer, I need a copywriter, I need a strategist, I need a, a designer. Like, I've got a bank of people who now I can trust and go to right away. Yeah. And then if they say, like, listen, Craig, like, I'm absolutely stacked, I can't do it just now, then they will recommend, as like, can you recommend someone who you would personally work with? Do you know what I mean? Like, that personal recommendation means a lot, do you yeah, know, completely. as well. And that's kind of really benefited me, is those personal recommendations. But usually, but on the other side of that is collaborations is when I work with clients as well. Like, I always aim to build a relationship with a client first and foremost before even design gets done because mm. I always believe that a good relationship will provide a much better outcome on a project in the process of that. Um, like, I've been working with a few clients in the States now and those clients are now friends who started off as one project, has led to three or four projects and the outcomes have been much greater just purely because the relationship has a means the process has been much better that way and evolved organically. So yeah, I, I believe in relationships first and foremost and, and then from that um, the talent and the work will come with it kind of thing. That's what I believe in personally. I completely agree. I mean, I think we've always found with our work like the best projects are the ones where you can have open and honest conversations with the clients and yeah. you feel like you're part of their team or you know it's an extended part of the team rather than keeping it arm's length and trying to keep everything very business, you know, very professional mm-hmm. when it's a lot more relaxed and open and mm-hmm. you can have tough conversations with them where you can provide honesty. Like you just mm-hmm. end up getting so much better work out of it. And then they keep coming back. Yes. Do you know what? You're so right there because one thing for me is like I'm very honest and transparent with clients and collaborators. Like if something comes up and I'm like, I really can't do it, and then I'll say, I cannot do this. However, I know X, Y, Z can do this and they can come on board the project and stuff. And Or even in the sense of like a client says to me, listen, Craig, can you do this letter and work for Friday? It's a specific style. And I'll be like, no. Like rather than absolutely stressing myself out and killing myself, like I'll be honest and say, no, like I could get it done for potentially you need to give me at least another week because the technical skill that it needs for that style takes more than two days. Do you know what I mean? So, because what I've realised is like over the years, a lot of other independent freelancers will just say yes and then this they go to like the work two days of like 12-hour shifts fucking trying to do this piece of work and then they kill themselves and maybe didn't execute it as well because they didn't rest their body or rest their mind correctly. Um, so I basically be honest and tell the client this. And because of that insight, I've actually had a really warm response because of it because I've had people come back to me and says, I'll be honest, like most people would have just said yes, but the fact that you've come back and pushed back and said no, it actually makes me think clearly about the whole process about how you do your work, Craig. And I was like, yeah. I'm just, and that helps me because I don't want to fucking kill Do they end up giving you the work and just an extended deadline? Are they, you know, they yeah, might actually yeah, say, like, yeah, it, it dep- to be honest, we don't, we don't actually need it by Friday. If you can get it by it, Tuesday, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which always tends to happen. It's always an extra few days. Completely. Don't get me wrong. If they say to me, like, we need this absolutely done by Friday, then I'll say, listen, well, maybe it needs to be a simplified version of the style that you're wanting. Or, like, let's take out that extra detail that you were talking about out of it because... If you're wanting for this, this, this is what needs to be done kind of thing. So it's being honest and frank about it, which has benefited me personally. I can't speak for other people, but that honesty has really benefited my career and has led to ongoing work with these people and being realistic with 
deadlines and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong, like there's been times I've had to work late to help them out, of course I have. But if it's something that I can control and, and say to them, like, if you're wanting this specific style, then yes, you need to wait a couple of days or something like that because I always need to consider my mental and physical aspects of doing lettering. So I, I do a lot of my stuff by hand. So it's on pencil and paper and there's in pen and there's coloured in or it's painted. Like, if I'm using my hands for eight hours a day, like, I'm getting cramp and pains in my forearms. And I was going to ask, do you get, like, yeah. does your hand cramp up? I remember doing, like, doing tests at school and you'd be writing an essay for three hours and, like, you'd have to, like, shake out your hand and it would, <laughs> it would be all cramped yeah, up. Yeah, like, these are things that probably clients don't understand either. Do you know what mm. I mean? I need to be taken accountable of that and let them know about the process behind it. Especially yeah. when it comes to a, even a mural design. Like the physical aspect and the mental aspect of a mural design is hard as fuck. It really is. <laughs> because you think about it, if you're painting a mural and you're trying to, you're concentrating your hardest and making that paint stroke go on a straight line as much as possible. And you're mentally concentrating on that in your hand. And you imagine, like, I've been on doing a mural, it takes me like nine, 10 hours a day doing this. It's fucking exhausting. So yeah. mentally, it's, probably mentally and physically. Uh, so it's like that combination. Yeah, so you need to be kind of honest with yourself and what you're capable of doing. Like, it's been, I've, I remember doing a mural beforehand and I was like, yeah, I can get this done in like three days. And I was like, I'm fucked. Like, after like the first day, I'm like, there's no way I'm getting this done in three days. And I had to call in help to get me do it. And fortunately, that happened. But I learned from that situation big time because it ended up, I got it done in three days, but then I had to take at least a week and a half off because I was just fucked. I was like, not burnt out, but I was like, knackered mentally and physically yeah. and I couldn't even get up and then I was just, I didn't have the motivation to go and get back to work again which is, which is fine to take a break it is, I always take breaks after big projects and stuff but usually it's only a couple of days but a week and a half to two weeks is a bit excessive if I'm not scheduled in an actual holiday <laughs> so it's all these considerations especially being a one man band because as much as I'm doing the work, I am project management, I am client manager, I am accounts, I am everything that comes when you're a, an agency because I essentially, I am running a studio here and especially if you're, if I'm working on a project which has collaborators, then I am the one who speaks to each and single one of those collabor- uh, like freelancers or collaborators and then I need to facilitate that information they've given me into a present presentation then, or even take that to the client. So, and as well as that, I'm doing design work and I'm doing the class. So there's so much to it, being an independent. But to be brutally honest, I wouldn't change it for the world. <laughs> as much as it's like crazy and it can be stressful, like I absolutely love what I do and I love everything that comes with it. And a reason why I love what I do is the fact that I can turn around and say to myself and go, that was you, Craig. You've done all that on your own. That You should be proud of yourself. Like I look back at my career a very short career that I've had and everything that I've achieved, like I'm extremely proud of myself and go, fuck yeah, Craig, that was you that done that. It wasn't, you didn't need someone else to help you or a helping hand, like you've done it all on your own. You made this happen and I'm hugely proud of myself for that. Regardless if it's a small client, a local client to basically a big brand or whatever, like you've done it on your own and you made that happen and I pride myself off that. So that things like that drives me every single day and hopefully in the next 20, 30 years, and I'll look back at my career and go, fuck yeah, well done, well done, Craig. <laughs> That's awesome. I think, are you quite competitive? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think we must share that in common because listening to your answers on that, that resonates very strongly for me in terms of not necessarily doing it on myself because I'm doing it all alone because, I, I mean, I obviously mm-hmm. get a shitload of help and support yeah. from the team. But still, that I guess the ability to be the master of your own destiny and create something from scratch or create something from nothing, I think that to me is, um, yeah, like what you were saying there is, is really um, motivating. Oh, totally. Like the competitiveness is kind of stems. So I used to be a professional football player before design. So that's where I started from young teenager to early adulthood. I was a professional footballer and my competitiveness all came from that. Like that upbringing and professionalism, like always trying to be the best you could possibly be. So I took those qualities into this career that I now have and that I would say is probably one of the main drivers of how well I've done in this short time frame um, is that competitiveness to always better myself each single time, every single day. And I don't ever compete myself against anyone else. I never do that. I compete against me and that is the biggest challenger of all and I think people need to realise that in a world where you're just filled with social media and there's constant other people who are maybe in your line of field and you're like oh shit they've done that or they're working with this client like fuck that like be better than yourself than the day before every single day I always think to myself what small step can I do to become a better person and a better creative and a better designer and, uh, and better in my business like I think about that every single day and that competitiveness pushes me on and if I didn't have that, I would definitely not be where I'm at right now. I probably wouldn't have this, my business, because if I didn't have that drive and determination, then I'd, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd, probably, I'd maybe be a designer still, but I'd probably work for someone else, which I yeah. don't want to do. Like, So that competitiveness has hugely driven my, my life, actually, my life and career, definitely. I think that's a real athlete mindset as well in terms of like incremental mm-hmm. improvements over time. So, you know, like... Actually, I got a friend who gave some advice on hiring salespeople and she was saying hire athletes because they understand small improvements over a long time lead to a great result. So it's not they're, you know, very goal orientated, but at the same time they're mm. willing to do just, you know, be a little bit better than yesterday every day and just constantly get better and better and improve. That's amazing. I think what you touched on there of compare yourself to yourself rather than everyone around you. I mean, we're inundated mm-hmm. with amazing cool things on mm-hmm. Instagram. Behance, LinkedIn, like it's very easy to start to fall into that trap of comparing yourself mm-hmm. to, oh, they worked on Nike or they worked on, you know, they worked on Adidas or that person's working with Apple now. And, and you think, shit, like, how am I ever going to get there? Yeah, it's so true. But going back to the, the incremental steps, like, see that mindset, like, that was so important for me. So back when I first started, it's like, when I graduated, I knew exactly what I wanted to become, which was an independent designer, specialising in football and Merton. Like, I knew from day one. And not many people have that. So I knew where I wanted to go, but I did. I had to make stepping stones to get to that point. So I graduated in Glasgow, and then I went straight to London to work with a, a design agencies down there just to get experience in design and learn how an agency works and stuff. But every evening and weekend... I would practice and practice and practice on my craft of typography and lettering. I would do personal project after personal project. And I did this for two and a half years before anyone even realized who I was. 
in the time in Ledson Field. But every night, so when I say every single night, what I would do was I would dedicate one hour a night. So everyone thinks of personal projects or practising and it needs to be like a huge big chunk, but I broke it into very small steps. So I would get home and, and my place in London after a job would be, say, six, half six. I would cook my dinner, say, half six, between half seven, and then half seven and half eight. I would give myself one hour to practice in any kind of type and lettering work, whether it's painting or using pencil or pen, just practicing my work, and then I would relax for the rest of the evening. So if I was doing a one evening on a, a one hour on a Monday to Friday, that's five hours. And then on a Saturday morning, I would maybe give myself three, four, five hours of practicing. So that's essentially 10 hours a week of practicing on top of a full-time job. And if yeah. you accumulate that over two and a half years, well, I'm not going to do that in my head. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all right, mate. We're designers. <laughs> we're like, we're, we're creators. We don't have to do that. Yeah. There's no way I can even calculate that. But that accumulates into a large amount of time spent on practicing and practicing and crafting the work. And then that has benefited me in my career. So those small steps have opened the door to where I'm at now. And it's the same stuff now. Like, I still find time to I prioritize uh, time to do personal projects but now I'm in a fortunate position where personal projects become commercial work or client work and so I get to have fun doing the personal work which turns into client work so all that hard graft I've done before all those incremental steps has led to the work now so I totally believe in that mindset a hundred percent and do you think having that big goal and clear goal defined allow you know provided that discipline to be able to do that every day every night after work one hour on the weekends three hours by having that goal really clearly identified for me a hundred percent and i know a lot of people don't have that goal yet and that's okay because they're finding their way they're finding what their passions are what they love doing and that's totally cool but once you find that whatever that is that you absolutely love like, and if you want to pursue that as a career and doing it for the rest of your life, then you need to set a goal to making that happen. Like, even if it's baby steps to making that a reality. So I started to, that clear definition in my head was to become this independent. So when I graduated, I thought to my, at first I thought to myself, I will be at least five, six years. No, probably about seven or eight years actually working in agencies before I go out on my own. Because that's what I read in blogs and had advice from more space people. That's what everyone did. And as time after those two and a half years, I was like, fuck that. I said, I'm <laughs> doing this now. I was like, I had this approach going, I'm not going to wait that long. I'm like, fuck this. Like, and I'm going to go and try now. I'm going to start my own business. Two and a half years into after graduating. Don't get it wrong at that point. I was also reading a lot of business books. I was reading blogs. I was asking a lot of experienced people who are independents, like, how did you do it? Getting as much advice as possible. It wasn't like I just thought, oh, one day I'm that's it. So um yeah. getting as much advice as possible, but I just thought, fuck it, like let's do it. And I just jumped into the unknown. And I literally I remember I only had one month's kind of rent available on my bank balance, like to pay next month's rent, and that's it. Didn't have any other money. But I just had this huge self-belief in myself that I could make this work. And fortunately, I got a freelance gig, which was like a two-week gig, and it was equivalent to like two months' pay in my last job. And uh, I was like, fuck, this is is fucking awesome. But then (laughs) after that two weeks, reality kicked in, and it was like, shit, like, it's freelance work, doesn't it? It wasn't like 
coming in as much as I wanted it to come in. So, but then I started to get a little pieces of work there because I started being more vocal online, showcasing my work, connecting with people. And I was getting drips and drabs in the first few years and then the first year or so. But I even look back now and go, how the fuck did I do that? How did I survive? <laughs> and, yeah. um, but I did. But I did yeah. survive. And now every year I've learned from, you could say, learn from the mistakes, learn from that situation. And every day, every single month, every year has been a stepping stone of getting improving and getting better. So, and I'm a big believer in goal setting. So every day I set a goal, every week I set a goal, every month, every year I set a goal. So when I'm speaking to you right now, I'm in my home studio and I've got a, on my wall, I've got like four pieces of paper with yearly goals on them. So year one, oh, so what, what would I achieve in year one and then year three, year five, year 10, all the goals that I want to achieve. And yeah. I'm looking at the list as I speak and I'm like, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. Tick, tick, tick. Still we achieved that. I'm still working on that. I'm making progress on that. And then I'm looking at it going, I will get there. I will. I have no idea. I'm looking at these situations right now. Like one of them <laughs> saying is, I've got a holiday home and a home studio abroad. And I'm saying abroad, whether that's in the sun, I said abroad in the sunshine. So I don't know <laughs> if that's Spain or is that Australia. I have no idea. But I'm like, I will make that happen. I have no idea how I'm going to make it happen, but I will make it happen. But having those short-term and long-term goals has played a huge part in my career, like a huge part. If I didn't have those goals, then I would be struggling. I'd think I'd be major struggling because if I didn't, having goals basically gets me up in the morning. It makes me think like I have a purpose to go and do something and achieve something. And having those goals makes that a reality for me. I would yeah. say, yeah, definitely goal setting has played a big part. It's, it's something that we spend a lot of time on as well. I mean, and it's hard to do. It's hard to actually crystallize them and really record them. But once you do have them, I think it gives you such a good purpose to work towards. And it's important, obviously, like you said, to break them up into smaller milestones. So it's not mm-hmm. just this lofty five-year it's um yeah. you know month um you know it could be a weekly goal or like you said a daily goal. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important mm-hmm. to be able to break it up and have that mm-hmm. incremental sort of incremental steps towards it. When you were starting out in those early years, you were doing you were practicing your craft after work. Did you share mm-hmm. that kind of content with the world? Were you posting it or did you actually was were you reserving that? You know, like when when did you actually start sharing it with people? I started sharing it right away because I was proud of the work I was what I was achieving and seeing my own development. Like I didn't care for likes or shares and stuff like that. Like what I thought was I am putting myself out to the universe. I'm showcasing the world what I can do. And then over time that will build and it will build and it will build. So that was my mindset. I didn't chase, like I said, the likes and the shares because if I was looking for that, then I got fuck all because in my I remember my first early course, I was like five likes and it was probably all my family do you know what i mean like uh, <laughs> right like even later down the track it's not like likes are going to pay the bill it's yeah, like, exactly gotta, exactly unless it's unless it's real clients or yeah i was making sure that the work that i was putting out is the work that i wanted to get hired for so that was a big thing so these personal i always believe that personal projects as a marketing tool for who i am and my brand even to this day every personal project that i do i see personal projects are basically projects as a marketing tool for me. I use that purposely for that reason because the way I look at it is I want to put in the work in my portfolio. The work in my portfolio is the work I want to get hired for. So if I want to get hired to do paper sculpture, 3D paper sculpture, 
or doing a mural or doing a beautiful crafted lettering piece, then I need to showcase the world of what I'm capable of doing. So that was my mindset from the early days, and that is what stemmed my career. So I was putting it out onto social media. I was sending it to blogs. I like I was hounding blogs for years. Like I used to like send about thirty or forty emails on one project and probably get ignored from every one of them. I just kept <laughs> pestering them, kept pestering them, kept pestering them, and then eventually they would break. And then they would eventually go, you know what, Craig, you pissed on me so much, I'm going to put you in Computer Arts magazine. And I always That's remember great. the first time I ever got any kind of exposure from a blog or a publication was Computer Arts magazine based in the, the UK. You know Computer Arts magazine, don't you? No, I don't. No, no, no. It's basically like it's like a big creative kind of magazine kind of thing. And unfortunately, they've actually just closed the doors after about 20, 30 years of going, but they run career block as well. So hugely, hugely inspiring um blog kind of thing over the years. So they but they also had a publication, but I sent up it was my first it was actually my first ever freelance job, which was a window mural I did for a barber shop. And it was like a five day job and I get paid in haircuts. That's that's how I get paid. <laughs> um, because these two guys these two guys were just starting up and they were and the brand well, the brief was like how do we, as a brand, stand out in front of other competitors on this high street? Because there was other barber shops, and how do we get attention online? So they had this beautiful big window, and I was like, let me do a fucking window mural on that, and then we'll create a social media campaign around me painting it, one we can video it, and then I'll take nice pictures of it, and then we can showcase it online. So it's a different perspective like a barber shop would ever do. It went fucking haywire, man. It was crazy. But... They didn't have any money, so they cut my hair, I think, for the <laughs> best part of a year or something like that. They probably and still owe you haircuts to today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but they've now went on. Sorry, that ended up, I sent that to Computer Arts Magazine, and they ended up doing a three-page spread on it, talking about the process and the final outcome, how I came about it and stuff like that. And that blew me away. Like That was like a huge moment for me in my career because... I was pestering and pestering and getting no rejection after rejection after rejection and then finally got a yes. And that gave me like a kind of glimmer of hope, you could say, in terms of the blogs taking on my work. And it just gave me a bit of more confidence in my own ability a little bit. And then from that, I just kept pesting blogs more and more. And even to this day, I've built a relationship with a lot of these editors now. So I wouldn't say it's pestering them. But when I do share the, the work with them, they maybe come back to me saying, Craig, amazing work but it's maybe not right for this issue because this is based on something else kind of thing so you've got to understand that when you're like contacting blogs and publications like it's not to say that your work is shit it's just maybe not right for whatever the time that they're showcasing it and that's totally understandable but from that barbershop those two guys are now went on to like to become one of the most successful barbershops in Scotland they've opened out three or four shops They've got like fucking 10 or 15 people working in each shop. They're like a global brand now in terms of being a barber. So don't get me wrong, I've worked with them since and I've been paid. So oh, um, good. I was going to ask yeah. if they've um, commissioned anything else. No, yeah. So we've done a few window murals over the years, actually. I've heard them up with kind of custom clothing line and stuff like that. So yeah, Eric's now, again, go back to the relationship. So Eric was a friend of a friend who got recommended me and now we're, best friends and I was at his wedding and stuff like that so we stay in contact all the time now and um, we talk about business and life and stuff so it just shows you how those relationships develop into friendships which is really really important yeah completely so 
Looking at the last year for you, what's been the highlight that stood out? Last year was fucking unreal, like absolutely unreal from a personal level to a career level. So one, I got married, which is awesome. Congratulations. Um, cheers, mate. And then at the tail end of the year, me and my wife, Ali, uh, found out we're having a little girl. So oh, man, that's awesome. That's super, so that's been amazing on that front. But in terms of design, like in a career, like, at the tail end of the year, I can't actually speak about it much, but I'm working with one of my dream clients. And all I can say is type and football, right? That's all I can say. Like, <laughs> this is unbelievable levels for me. How did you land that? Can you share how you got it? It came about in November time, and it actually came through via an agency who are doing the kind of refresh or rebrand of the club. And they have been following my work for years, actually. And the creative director who, but he contacted me via LinkedIn, which is why LinkedIn's so fucking awesome. <laughs> but I didn't know who it was. Basically, the line in the message says, it's a tight project for a football club. Are you interested? And I was like, yep, let's go chat. And then when I walked into the meeting and there was a big screen and it had the name of the club on it. And my instant reply was, fuck off. With a big <laughs> smile on my face. And, uh, and I've never met these people in my entire life. And they all just started laughing. And uh, wow. I was like, shit. And then I followed up by saying, shit, sorry. So I'm swearing <laughs> again. And uh, I said, is this fucking real? And I kept swearing. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just so over the moon. Like, I'm so excited by this. Yeah. And then from that, it was real. And I'm still working on it now. And I just, I can't even come to terms of how, how much this means to me. Hopefully in the next, it was probably meant to be launched in the next, couple of months but I think it's going to be delayed now obviously obviously it's everything that's happening but that will for an emotional personal level that's I can't even explain in the works like I actually get emotional thinking about it so that happened at the tail end of last year but I got to do a lot of traveling so I was in Australia last year where, where we caught up and yeah. I'd done a an international speaking tour like I got to travel across Australia and share my story and I got to bring my wife along which was awesome I got to speak off festival in Barcelona which is probably one of Europe's and the world's biggest design conference as well. So, but talking about a specific moment, it was probably an office in Barcelona because I got to work in this incredible project, which was basically hand painting on a car. But it, the whole reason why that was so amazing because in the accumulation of the whole experience. So, I was asked to go speak at a festival, which has always been a dream of mine and a goal of mine since my early days. And one of those ones, I, I thought if I was ever going to do it, it'd be like five years from now, five, ten years from now, but it happened much sooner than I expected, which I was absolutely delighted with. So a couple of days before I was flying out, off the, the company contacted me and said, listen, Craig, we've got a project. And one of our sponsors, Moritz, the beer brand, have asked if you would like to hand paint on a car during the festival. So you're like three days painting it. And I was like, fuck yeah, of course I do. And the brief was, basically, can you create a beautiful letting piece in Barcelona and encapsulate the, the beauty and excitement of the city and the collaboration and, and the festival? I was like, all right, cool. I think it's something. So I remember being on the plane. I was painting on this old, iconic, can I see it, 500 car. It was fucking, it's so beautiful. And it was um, white vinyl wrapped for me to hand paint on. So originally it was yellow with all the kind of Marie's beer branding on before. So they put a white vinyl on it for me to hand paint on. So I remember turning up on the first day and was it three days I had to do it? 
but the first day it rained, so I couldn't paint at all. Oh, I was like, no. I'm in Barcelona, it shouldn't rain, I'm here for sunshine. Yeah. But on that first day, I was one of the last speakers, and I was in this kind of site. I wasn't in the main arena, which holded like two and a half thousand people. I was in the side tent, which held like 1,500. And it's this big, massive marquee thing. And I remember in the morning time, I thought I'd go see one of the early speakers just to get a vibe of what it was like, what was going on. And there was a lot of headliners in terms of big people in the design industry who were speaking. And I remember going, I'll go, I thought to myself, I'll go see this person. I'm not going to name them. Um, and see the talk and see what the crowd's like and all this kind of stuff and I remember getting into talk and I was like this room's half full and I'm like fuck like this guy's a fucking big wig he's been in the game <laughs> for years and, yeah. and no one's here and I'm like I don't know if it, there's accumulation of people are interested in him or is it because of the time of day I, I don't know and that kind of put in a bit of doubt into me because I was like I'm talking at four or five o'clock today I'm like people probably fucking want to go home or leave or whatever so that fortunately enough, I ended up I could paint a little bit on the car and I took my mind off it. Yeah. Um so I remember I was kinda of half painting this car at the time and no one at the time the car no one really knew what I was doing with the car because it was just like outlined in pencil at this point. Um, so some people were going, Oh, what's going on here and there? And then so one of the workers who was part of the festival came up to say, Craig, it's time for you to go and do your talk. I was like, Great shit, cool. So they sent me through this kind of back bit of the marquee. Then I was getting my mic on, so I've not seen the crowd or anything yet. And there was someone speaking, and then a woman who was like helping me with the mic saying, have you noticed the crowd yet? I'm like, what? I was like, no, I've not looked. She says, you need to look and have a look. And I opened the curtain out and peeked out. It was a full house, like oh, an absolute wow. full house of people sitting. Do you get nervous for- speaking in front of crowds like that? I didn't have time to be, I did a little <laughs> bit, yeah, I do, like, the most nervous part for me is actually walking onto the stage and saying my first word, that's the yeah. most nerve-wracking part, but once I get going, I just think about it as if I'm speaking to you right now, so just before I got into that part, the woman said to me, have you looked outside as well, and I'm like, no, what do you mean, there was literally a fucking queue of people waiting to get in to listen to me speak, and I thought, what the fuck is going on here? Like, because I didn't at that point, I didn't consider myself to be as I don't know, well known or have I don't know. I just I, maybe yeah. that I had a bit of doubt in my head at that point, which is kind of natural in that moment because you thought about fucking comparing yourself. Feel like I don't usually compare myself, but I think it was that moment. Like, I think it was comparing myself to like a big speaker, and then um, yeah. I'm like, oh, like oh, fuck, 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 and like. <laughs> That doubt, that comparison probably fucked me up, actually. And I don't usually do it. And it was probably because that one moment, it fucked up that initial moment. And then I thought, God, I quickly take my mindset to fuck comparing myself to people. Like, just be you and do your thing, Craig. So I remember going on stage. Initially, like, you're shitting yourself because of before you, you get going because you hope that everything's going to work out. And I was looking in the crowd and I, I said my first couple of lines or whatever, and I could see people like smiling in the crowd. And my story is very like quite emotional as well. And there's a lot of trials and tribulations, but you can persevere and you can there's a lot of good stuff to it and it's an inspiring story. And there was moments between it, there was laughter, there was joy, 
and everybody connected with me at that moment. Like it was like an intrinsic feeling. It was just so amazing. And there was one moment where I spoke um, very personal about like life and stuff like that and challenges that I faced. And this one girl, I can always remember, she sat on the right-hand side of the, the audience. Like, I, you imagine there's 1,500 people in here. Like, I can't see in the back, but I can only yeah. see the front kind of, kind of people. And she was at the right. And basically, I, I say something, and then she replies saying, yes. And I looked at her, and I think everyone else kind of looked at her, and she stood <laughs> up and she started clapping. Because it was such a personal thing that I said, I can't, I actually can't remember it, but I was overwhelmed with emotion. Like, I almost started crying on stage because a whole crowd started clapping for me in this moment. I'm actually getting emotional talking about it. But that feeling is like that personal response of like how we connected with other people in the audience was so fucking unreal. I, I cannot, I didn't imagine it at all to go like this. So after I finished, I got this standing ovation that would just blow me away. So that was like, I come on stage and then, oh, it was, it was unreal. Like I couldn't even describe the amount of people who waited outside to talk to me. And this is people from like Italy, Spain, like all over the world who like, from different cultures, but all resonated with the story, which I think is so fucking beautiful as well. Like, you don't need to be in the UK, you don't need to be in Australia, you can be anywhere in the world. We've all got the same challenges, we've all got the same kind of similar stories, and we're all connected the same way. And it made me realise the power of creativity and sharing your story. So, following that day, like, everyone was connected to me. So the next morning, I got up early and I started painting on this car, and literally... Every five minutes, of probably being an exaggerant, every 15 minutes, like I would have someone new coming up to me saying, Craig, your story was brilliant. Like, I love who you are. I love the work that you're doing. And it was incredible because I was getting to speak to these people. But at the same time, I was trying to paint a car. And I was like, like I was speaking to these people for like however long. And I was like, listen, I need to go back and paint this car. And I would spend like five minutes painting the car. And then someone else would come up. And it was so stressful because... It was amazing, but it seemed I was getting stressed out because I couldn't finish painting the car. And the the brand who hired me to do the car were like, what's going on here? But the beauty about it all was there was such a, a human interaction around the car as well. So they were taking pictures of me painting the car while I was talking, interacting with people. And it became this beautiful synergy of like human interaction as well as a social media engagement as well because... The social media team from Off and the the beer brand, like, say, this is one of the most engaged content they've ever had because they've ever seen this piece of art created in front of their eyes, but they've seen me engaging with people and sharing my story. Yeah. And I, this lasted for about two or three days, mate, and I was on cloud nine. Like, this is unfucking real. Like, it got to the point, though, when I was painting the car, and um, a good friend of mine, Tina Tui, um, she was there with a couple of pair of pals, and she says, listen, Craig, you're getting inundated and people want to talk to you. Like, do you want us to help you paint on the car? Like, you do the outlines and we'll call it out, basically. And I was like, this is a massive help. So she, like, it wasn't for her, then I don't know if I would have got it done. <laughs> but yeah. that four days was one of the best experiences in my entire life in terms of design and in life and in meeting people. Like, from that conference, I've, I've actually gained work and friendships and stuff like that. So... That was probably one of the major highlights for me last year, definitely. And what an experience. And hopefully when you get to do talks and share those experiences, it's such a beautiful thing to do. And I'll absolutely love it. And and when people come to me and say how this part of the story inspired me or this part 
resonating with me and diff- different people and when I mean different people different stages of their career so it could be a junior or it could be more experienced people who've been in the game for 20-30 years how one moment can inspire them to go pursue their own dreams is it's such a beautiful thing so being able to do that last year and share my story more was just incredible so yeah hopefully I kind of covered that <laughs> question no no it's, it's great I mean we saw you and I say we my team and I saw you at the design conference in Brisbane mm. uh, in 2018 and yeah, I was blown away by the talk. I mean, it was really, really inspiring and motivating. And also, I think we all appreciated the vulnerability of it as well. And just sharing the journey and like we've spoken about today, like I guess how much time and effort went into honing mm-hmm. your craft. Did you want to touch on it? I, I feel like I don't want to rush through it, but is it something that you can talk about now in terms of to maybe shed light, a bit more light for, for our audience or is it something that they can, we can direct them to? In terms, in terms of the, the in terms, yeah, yeah. Listen, like when um, it's a challenge we face. So when starting a business, it was very, very challenging in the sense of um, how do you make this work? The stress of money coming in the door, working late hours, trying to improve, trying to better yourself, trying to get the next job in the door. Like that's happened to me. So I started off in London. I said I'm always should do in London, but. When I say in my studio, it was actually a cabin outside of the main house. But like I stayed in a cabin in London, which is like a bizarre thing to do. But it was my bedroom, but it was also my studio. So I was effectively in there twenty four hours a day, trying to make a business work. But I was all I was just constantly eating and sleeping, design and business and all that jazz, and it became very very unproductive. And I didn't. All my friends and family were basically back home in Scotland, and it got too much for me and I basically had burnout it was twice in one month actually it was fucking horrible horrible experience and it was quite overwhelming kind of situation because I felt lonely I felt all alone in London and don't get me wrong like my dad and my older brother was in London at the same time and they were massive for me like they've always been massive for me in terms of support and always been there for me but I think this is the time where I just felt like there was a calling for, to go back home, back to Scotland to see my friends and stuff. And probably just take my mind off a of design. It's, London just consumed me. It consumed me in the sense of like, because it's a doggy dog world down there. And I've just never been like that. And personality wise, I've just never been like that. And it was just destroying me really. And then the pressures of trying to pay the bills and because obviously London's quite an expensive place to stay. I had enough and I kind of broke down. And really, I'll, I'll be even more specific. Like I remember. I used to come back home to Scotland very often, like every couple of months, whatever, because I started seeing Alison as well, and I wanted to see my mum, and I wanted to see my friends and stuff. And then also I was doing projects up here as well. So one, but it was fine coming back with the borrowers because I was just used to it. And then one Christmas, it was like two or three weeks I spent home. And this is at the time that I started to feel very unhappy with the person I was becoming in terms of in London. I was just becoming moody and just wasn't enjoying what I was doing and I, I it was a really rough while putting my under myself a stress but when I was home the support from family and friends is what I really missed and then I was getting my flight back to London and I remember sitting in the airport and I burst into tears like just started crying I'm like why the fuck am I going back to London why am I going back here why am I going back to somewhere that makes me unhappy and um, and I phoned Ali at the time my wife and like 
I don't know what I'm doing. She says, like, go down the, like, she says, like, you do what makes you happy. Like, if you want to come home, then come home. Like, that's what I think it is. But if you need to go to London to do your work, then I'll support you either way. So, no matter what, I always had that support base, which was great. But I said to myself, right, I need to go to London because I always felt like I had to be in a major city because that's where my reputation is or that's where the clients are that I kind of felt that stupid feeling that I had to be there to get the work in so I said to myself right I'll stay in London for three months and then I'll come home right that was on the Monday so I flew down on Sunday and on the Monday I said right I'm going to come back in three months time and then on Tuesday I thought nah I'll come back in three weeks time and then on the Wednesday I just thought fuck this I've had enough I packed my bags I hired a van and I left London, I drove a van back up to Scotland, and I remember seeing the Welcome to Scotland sign, and I started to celebrate, I started going, yes! <laughs> started to celebrate, and honestly, such a, a release of tension, just let go at that moment, it was such a, like, kind of special moment for me, breakthrough, it was a breakthrough, actually, moment, it made me realise that I needed to go home, and it was one of the, probably the best decision I ever made was going back home, and then from that moment, because of that stress and anxiety, just suddenly left. It was, but I had to make a strong decision to leave because I was so caught up in the whole grind and like I had to be in London because I gave me reputation or that bullshit. It doesn't matter at all. So coming from away from that, my mindset, my I'm such a positive mindset. Now. I'm in the best place I've ever. I'm living the best life possible. Like I stay in a small town outside of Glasgow, a place called Burrook, beautiful little coastal town. I'm literally 100 yards away from the water. Like, the place is filled with, like, independent stores and shops and stuff like that. It's a beautiful place. People are super friendly. And because I live in this beautiful and happy and amazing environment, I'm producing the best work possible. And the biggest thing for me was when I came back home, I said to myself, I'm going to work with international clients all across the world from my hometown, I'm going to make that possible. And it's been four years in the making of me making this possible and fucking making my dream become a reality. I've always wanted to come back home, like have a family, like set up a home studio of other clients across the world. I've always wanted that. Ever since I was in London and in that kind of studio, I've visualized over and over again of living this life and now I'm doing it. But I set myself goals and strategies to make that dream become a reality. So, that journey of going through that vulnerability and anxiety and stress, like, would I change it? Would I, if I would go back, like, everything happens for a reason. That's what I think in my head. Like, if I didn't go through that aspect of it, it wouldn't lead to this point. But what I want people to do is realise that you, for them, themselves, you can, you don't need to go through those moments. Like, learn from where I'm at right now, learn from the positive aspect and continue on. Like, I'm sharing these negative moments because this is how it like crafted me as a person but don't do it like learn from these moments and you can go on and live a positive life and positive career in the way that you want to do it you can do it from your home you can do it from a small town what work class across the world as physically possible because the world is digital now you can talk you can talk to someone on the other side of the world like exactly what we're doing right now yeah you're in Australia and I'm in Scotland like that couldn't be done years and years ago but now it can and now we can collaborate to create brands and artwork and design and fucking amazing stuff that can be possible via these situations that we're living in now. So that's kind of where I've ended up now. And like I said, I'm living 
the most amazing life possible. Like I'm happy as fuck. <laughs> if that's, that's awesome. the best, in the cheesiest way, like I'm happy as fuck. And it is the reason why I'm happy as fuck is because I've made decisions to make my life happy. That is the difference. I've never waited for someone else to make a decision for me to make my life happy. I've purposely made decisions to live the life that I want to live. And that is the key thing. A lot of creatives expect other people to give them an opportunity or to give them a platform to do whatever they want to do. You need to take responsibility for your own actions to make the life that you want to live. And that's exactly what I did. Yes, it's fucking huge risk, but with huge risks takes huge rewards. And that has been my mindset. After huge risks, my whole life and my whole career, and every time I've took a huge risk, something has paid off. And that's what I believe in, and that is my philosophy in life. So hopefully that kind of insight can help someone who's listening. I think that's going to be so helpful for listeners and creatives to hear that, you know, if you're in Australia, you don't have to go to Sydney or Melbourne if you're in Brisbane or if you're in a regional town, you can do it from where you are. And the same thing goes, I mean, we have a culture where a lot of people feel like you have to go to New York or you have to go to London if you want to succeed in advertising. Whereas I just think, and the cool thing is, you know, what I'm proud of about our team is um, we sort of have that, share that same mindset as you. It's like, we're happy to to do something great from a hometown rather than having mm-hmm. to be in a place where lots of other creatives live. Yeah, I think that's an, you know, a really inspiring and really um, positive message to put forward. And not, you know, I think it's great that it sort of resonated with so many people over in Barcelona because I know it resonated with the audience in Brisbane mm-hmm. here when you spoke. I mean, it was um, yeah, stuff that really stood out for the people there. Yeah, and even that first experience in TDC in 2018, like, that was my first international talk. Right, and when I came to Australia, like no one really knew who I was. Like being realistic, like no one really knew who I was. A lot of the audience didn't know who I was and stuff like that. And that was totally cool. But when I shared that story that day, like everything changed. I think a lot yeah. of people, like you, like we connected automatically right after that, and we've we've had a strong connection ever since. But my, I have a strong affinity with the Australian design community because of that moment. And from that conference, like that was a special one. Like. I need to get a big shout out to Matt Haynes as well, like for giving me the opportunity yeah. and for believing for in someone like me who maybe like didn't exactly have like the big brands, the big all this stuff. Like he believed in me as a person and believed in the work that I was doing and what I believed in is in that aspect. And I loved that from him. And he gave me that opportunity to share that story. And I think that was really, really important. Because from that event, like Big Matt told me like I think they'd done the vote or something like that, and I was waiting for one of the top speakers of that event. And I was yeah. like, I'll be brutally honest as well, like that was my third or fourth talk <laughs> in my entire life. I went from Scotland to doing like a few hands, but I probably was, I don't know, about my neck, like five or six ones or something, but I'll do smaller <laughs> ones in Scotland and then automatically I'm like, fuck, I'll go to Australia and do this big one. And then from that, it's just snowballed. Like you said, you're not afraid of taking huge risks. <laughs> just taking, exactly. taking a leap. Matt, who inspires you? Who inspires me? I would go back to family. Like, family's always been a big thing for me. And my mum's been a huge inspiring character. And I, I know it's kind of cliche because a lot of people say this, but no, that's she's, right. been, she's been everything for me. Like, for what she sacrificed for me and my brother to the men that we've become, to giving me a platform, to giving me everything I've ever had, it's, it's, it would be hard. And definitely, like, even my brother as well, like, as much as he's non-creative and he's a lad, like, 
he's always looked after me. He's always been there for me even from an early age. Like he's always been that a big brother role for me. And even to this day, like he still calls me his wee brother. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Scottish term, wee bro. Yeah. And then so, and I've got to say my wife as well. Like yeah, she's fine every single day, and it, I'm so lucky to have have her as, as well as the people around me as well. So. As much as like I would love to say someone in the design field and stuff like that, like the people who I admire and I love the work and I, the work is is inspiring. But I always believe that you need to people closer to home are the ones that really inspire me personally. Um, for the sacrifices and the love that they made, that's for me is my inspiring people. Yeah, if it's to be, I'm flipping on the design side here. There is people who inspire me and stuff like that. I, I take that back because there's people like um. Joe Dutch-Stilson, I always pronounce his name wrong, Joe Stilson, based in, the, uh, based in America, who used to be our H19 ex-people, we collaborate all the time, and he's an inspiring character for me, he's worked in some of the most amazing brands in the world and stuff like that, and he's constantly like innovating and doing new things and stuff like that, there's amazing people across the creative industries and comments doing inspiring work all the time. I saying that, I've got a whole list of people that I can't even think of off the top of my head. I've got a total mind blank right now because I was thinking about my family. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that, mate. <laughs> so moving on from there, who's someone remarkable that we should know or speak to? You know what? I came across this guy when I did my show into it. It's a guy called Peter Brennan. Do you know Peter? He's based no. in Sydney. He runs the agency Electric and Analog. What a okay, guy. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. He, Pete, Pete is genuinely one of the best guys I've ever met in my entire life. So the, a quick background is like when I was, um, my first talk was in Sydney and Pete reached out to me, never known Pete before. And he basically sent me a private, uh, an email and said, listen, I've seen that you're doing this too in Australia. I said, I've read your bio and your story, like kind of overview and totally resonates with me. I said, I would love to catch up with you a coffee afterwards I go for a drink and uh, says after your talk I says brilliant let's do it and after he me and him got on like, a house on fire like really really did and he has got an exceptional story to tell really really has he's got a brilliant story to tell and he's a brilliant guy as well genuinely one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my entire life and he the, what really connected with me is the fact that my wife was over there right so you imagine you're going to the other side of the world to do that tour and I'm getting inundated with people wanting to speak to me and obviously I'm doing do a job as well and my wife's at the side kind of on her own and that's playing in my mind as well because I don't want her to be on her own but the brilliant thing about the show design community even everyone that I met was so fucking friendly like these are all I can speak to a whole bloody nation but these are all so friendly and so nice they're so like oh, I feel but the amazing thing is, is like when I would finish a talk, that people would obviously come to me, but some people would go to Ali and like speak to her. And I thought it was such a beautiful thing because I've been in many talks before and that doesn't happen. But Pete, I always remember specifically, Pete did this in the first talk and he basically would turn over to Ali and start talking away to her. And she made a big impression on Ali, right? And I can remember, I didn't get to speak to Pete yet. He said to me, I'll catch you in the pub. And then Ali says, Pete's a wonderful guy, really, really nice. He's got a chat to him. Ended up going to the pub and I spent, I think it was like three or four hours with him. And um, we've been in contact ever since. And he's done amazing things with his agency, his story, his family life, 
um, a great career. So I highly, highly recommend speaking to Pete. Thank you. Just a top, top guy. Inspired, like inspires me every single day. Even his thoughts on family and his purpose in life and all those kind of things, man. It totally resonates. Really, really awesome guy. And um, well, you have I, to, yeah, uh, you have to connect us. Him. I'll definitely do it. I'll do it as soon as, um, as soon as we finish up on here. I'll, I'll let Pete know and get thank you to top, top guy. Yeah. Mate, so wrapping up, what's your favourite quote or the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? You know what? Like, on, <laughs> I've got tons, right? But I'm a big believer in positive affirmations. So every morning, every day, I say these positive affirmations out loud. And um, I've got a whole list of stuff. And it's actually like a, it's a routine I've got. It's almost like a poem. But one of the comments that always resonates to me is this. I commit today to do what it takes to succeed. I take responsibility for where I am. And for that, that quote really stands out to me because it makes me reassess everything that I do every single day. Like, take responsibility for the situation you're in, Craig. Like, for instance, we're in this pandemic, right? Businesses are shutting shop. There's businesses going stale. People are losing jobs left, right and centre. So, Take responsibility for that situation, Craig. How can you make it better? So I say that to myself every single day, and it makes me think, hey, how can I make my business survive? Reaching out to people, speaking to old clients, speaking to friends, how can you help in any possible way? And I take that kind of commitment to myself to make sure that I succeed in those difficult situations that I'm in. So I say that every single day, and it just reaffirms to me what I need to do and what I need to align myself to take responsibility. And if I didn't have that, then it would be like an aimless task for me. So that statement for me totally resonates and it makes me like strong and purposeful on my way forward in every single day. So that's the one for me, basically. That's brilliant. I like that. And mate, to finally wrap it up, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. But where can we direct people to find out more about you? First of all, thanks for having me, Dan. Like I've, I've... Yeah. I'm going to do this and fucking love this. I don't think you've sworn yet. Don't worry. <laughs> I can't believe I just ended it with a swear word. No, that's no, right. No, I've loved it, man. I've really loved chatting with you and I really admire what you guys are doing, what you're doing personally as well and bringing this um, podcast to everyone and, and inspiring people. That's really, really amazing of you. But to find me, you can see my work at craigblackdesign.com. You can find me on Instagram and social media. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, all the social media jazz at, at underscore Craig Black. Um, but connect with me on LinkedIn, quite heavy on LinkedIn just now, um, Craig Black, and you'll find me on there. And that's probably the best place. And if you want to send me an email, we catch up that way. Hello at CraigBlackDesign.com. I would love to connect with people, chat with people, and um, reach out, um, and let's chat, basically. Um, that's the best place to find me. And if you ever come to Scotland, come to Gourk. In Scotland, uh, I'll be more than willing to show you some hidden gems along the way and you have a great time. Mate, that's awesome. And um, so hope you enjoy that. Cheers, Craig. Thanks very much, mate. No worries. Have a good one. See ya. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to this episode of Discover Someone Remarkable. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your network. To support us, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. To learn more about us or the guests on this show, visit dsrb.com.au slash podcast. DSR Branding exists to inspire people to love what their work represents. We hope that this episode has inspired you to think differently.